0: Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez here, and it is such a privilege to have a guest here for the second time around. His name is Gavin Teo. He's a healthcare VC investor and has been for the last eight years. Partner at B Capital Group for the last four years, leading global healthcare practice, and an investor at Comcast Ventures for five years beforehand focused on healthcare and frontier technologies. If you guys haven't had a chance to listen to our first interview, which was about a year and a half ago, go back, go to outcomesrocket.health, type in Gavin Teo, that's T-E-O, and uh, you'll hear the incredible interview. In fact, if you haven't listened to it, I recommend that you listen to that one before you listen to this one. Um, We talked about the healthcare economy and some extraordinary insights into Asia, and the thing that he things that he's working on uh, recently, he relocated to Singapore, which is where he's at right now. Uh, so, big thanks for him for hopping on on a Saturday in the morning. So, it shows his commitment to what he's doing. Uh, he's working on launching an uh, early stage VC fund focused on health and wellness. Uh, not ready to announce the name yet, but lots of good things to come. He serves as board director to Silver Cloud Health, which you've heard of here, as well as Bright MD, you've heard of as well, CXA, a health benefits platform, Fishbrain, Galen Growth Asia, and also co-manages co- BCAP Investments in Maya. It's a cardiac care company, Notable Labs, Evidation Health, and AI Motive it's self-driving cars. Okay. This is just the beginning. We're going to dive into some good stuff. So with that, uh, Gavin, I just want to give you a uh, a welcome to the podcast once again. So glad you could join us.
1: Saul, thank you so much for the warm introduction and for having me back on. It's an absolute pleasure to be partnering with you on this.
0: Absolutely. So, so Gavin, we, you know, the last time you were on, it, it was just like, mind blowing. I, I learned a ton of stuff from you. And so our so did our listeners. The biggest takeaway was healthcare is 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 just an economy. You know, it's not a vertical. And and today I hope to learn more in that area, you know, globalization of healthcare, healthcare tech. What's on your mind lately? Uh,
1: so I, I, I uh, <clears throat> I've been really focused about thinking about problems of global healthcare and what are investable areas where technology can come to uh, bear to really improve the quality of care and drive outcomes. Uh, You know, as you shared, I recently moved back to Singapore. Uh, Singapore is a small country in Southeast Asia with about five million people, but it sits in uh, a sea uh, of people that are all very rapidly entering middle-class status. And with that comes uh, the need for healthcare consumption um, and the need for uh, more types of innovative care models that include technology to deliver uh, supply against a lot of demand and uh, questions of both access and payment need to be solved and um, you know we're, we're far from solving those questions in the U.S. and North America uh, but I think there's recognition of uh, the, um, the, the need for different sectors of, uh, of, of the economy to come together and help to build new solutions. I think in many other parts of the world it's, it's far earlier in that thinking and so, one of the things I'd love to chat about today are some of these global trends, uh, not just in Southeast Asia, where I'm sitting, uh, but also in Europe um, and North America, of course, uh, where you know global healthcare has become uh, part of the global economy and a really important part of it. Uh, and that's something that excites me.
0: No, that's for sure. And, and so, what, what is it that inspires you, Gavin? Like, well, what is it that inspires you to be in this work?
1: First and foremost, it is about working with fantastic entrepreneurs as well as intrapreneurs and executives who are doing great things at large healthcare organizations. Uh, my role as a venture investor is to uh, identify, support, and most importantly, you know, um, be part of a greater team that, that helps to bring uh, new businesses that are, are disrupting and transforming new markets in healthcare uh, to, uh, to the global stage. Uh, so we supply capital, uh, we try and support with expertise, but first and foremost, it's about people. Um, and uh, what gets me really fired up every day is working with entrepreneurs, uh, the CEOs, the founders, and the management teams of some of the companies that you mentioned, uh, and, and others not in our portfolio, that, um, that just inspire me uh, to, uh, to do my best work uh, and help them achieve their goals as they, as they bring um, totally new approaches uh, to solving some really tough questions in, in delivering healthcare
0: outcomes. I love it, Gavin. And you know the this topic of globalization's big, right? And and I feel like a lot of companies, lo- larger ones, have 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 really it, it's cemented, right? They're doing it; it's part of their strategy. And and so, what about the midsize to smaller companies? What do you what do you say to them?
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think um, there there are a, a lot of great companies globally in healthcare, uh, particularly in life science, that are thinking about global markets in a a fairly sophisticated way. I think the same is true in in med tech as well. And uh, I think it it stems from the fact that these are businesses that bring products and tech enabled services to market um, where uh, the the user bases, um, the the healthcare industries, the value chain, and ultimately the end reimbursable use case uh, sits globally, right? So mm-hmm. whether that's, um, you know, European companies uh, that are selling in the US or, or American companies selling globally. Uh, I think that if you, if you look at uh, the middle market, or you look at startups that are much earlier, they tend to, uh, and rightfully so, you know, focus um, on, you know, one problem and solving it well, uh, you know, fo- focus is absolutely the critical Um, set of first steps in order to make a sustainable business to do something that's unique and differentiated. Um, And and I think geographic uh, considerations around how soon to go global is often uh, a point of tension because it requires resources and it requires uh, time and energy uh, invested in understanding a new market um, that that could be quite far away from home. And I think the message that I might have for startup entrepreneurs that are um, wrestling with those dynamics is to really recognize that healthcare is already a global industry. So to be thoughtful about how to go about um, expanding from your home market into new areas uh, is, is something that you have to do. Um, and I think um, you know, being thoughtful and, and to plan ahead for, for when to take that first step into a new geographic market is critical, not, not, not to do that without the adequate preparation, uh, but to realize that it is um, you know, and should be a very important part of, of one's strategy. And to give you an example of that, you know, in uh, in part of the world where I spend a lot of time right now in in Southeast Asia, um, there are about um, 750 million people uh, across the region. And it's a a very uh, diverse uh, set of individual countries with their own healthcare uh, rules, regulations and stages of development as it pertains to, um, uh, you know, cost of care, availability of care. Uh, what's considered um, accessible um, and, and adequate supply, and and what is still uh, needing and and requiring you know, a lot more investment, and uh, digital health, health technology companies, or even early stage um, research uh, organizations that are thinking about new applications um, in drug development. Uh, the, these these businesses, I think, um, have a have a mindset of starting in one place, uh, like for example Singapore, where. Yeah, you do have uh, corporate structures and um, financing availability and, and kind of depth of technical and science talent that is, is similar to the U.S., uh, but on a smaller scale. Uh, and then they think about how to expand into uh, adjacent markets like you know Indonesia, which is the fourth most populous country in the world with uh, close to 300 million in population, almost the size of the U.S. alone, uh, but where the challenges of entering that market due to the fragmentation of um, uh, supply chains, the just geographic um, uh, scale of the country—it's uh, an island chain uh, with over a thousand individual islands. So, so getting care distributed, um, or getting you know any any kind sort of sort of logistics requires a different um, you know mindset and, and scale to uh, overcoming some of those challenges. Uh, but on top of that, it's it's a country that's just entering middle income status. Um, so as you know, mm-hmm. as we as we sort of frame and think about. Um, GDP per capita, and where healthcare fits on the hierarchy of needs um, in, in the presence of you know, other areas where people spend their energy and time, uh, but also where it's absolutely required uh, to focus on those things. Uh, you know, just, just like in the developed world, um, the prevalence of lifestyle diseases like diabetes is significantly on the rise. And so you know, companies here in this region that maybe start in one market uh, have to think and, and do think quite quickly about uh, expanding to other markets um, that that could look very very different even when they are small and mid-sized and i think that's a healthy um it's a healthy set of uh issues to weigh and to grapple and think about you know when to start to expand and how aggressively
0: Hmm. yeah that's a great insights gavin and what what would you say is is one of the biggest challenges in in making that move for a us-based company so uh
1: for a us-based company I think it is um, figuring out uh, what is the unique uh, product market fit Mm -hmm. for uh, what you bring to the market that can solve something in a unique way that a uh, local incumbent or perhaps, um, you know, existing way of doing things, which may be, you know, inadequate consumption of healthcare in any, um, by any measure, uh, needs to be overcome in order for your product uh, or service to be successful. Um, and so uh, maybe if I could break that down by sub-segment or sub-vertical within healthcare. Sure. Um, I, I think in the case of um, of life science, uh, drug discovery, manufacturing, distribution, often is a question of price, right? And so mm-hmm. you know a lot has been written around the strategy around marketing and pricing. Um, the same compound under different trade names under you know um, generic classifications after a certain period of time has passed. and I think a lot of thought is already given to you know what's the right level to localize uh, product in, in different markets based on uh, local propensity to reimburse and to pay. And I think uh, that's uh, that's important. I also think that in this day and age when we look at compound therapeutics, personalized care, uh, digital therapeutics, um, where software is combined with uh, traditional Therapeutic and and then drug uh, that there are interesting new combinations that can be you know lower cost, highly efficacious, and and perhaps more um, directly uh, applicable to a mobile first generation that um, you know uh, is entering healthcare where the expectation of some kind of tele or virtual model of delivery through the mobile device is already um, kind of uh, very well entrenched in sort of the, the local consumer psyche right? Uh, versus mm-hmm. in, in, in the West uh, where, you know, the uh, pharma, um, pharmacy and PBM kind of axis of uh, delivering, distributing and paying for drugs is, is, is much more common and sits offline outside of, you know, mobile and tech in many ways. And so, you know, uh, combining, you know, different pricing models for you know, a drug that, uh, you know, required billions for R&D to bring to market. And so it's so absolutely maintaining the, the adequate, you know, and appropriate profit margins there, but combining it with different methods, different forms of maybe uh, telemodels of distribution or, um, or compliance or virtual care in the form of both uh, traditional offline as well as online um, uh, mechanisms, I think could be an interesting way to tailor product to market. Uh, I think the same could be said for for med tech and med device uh, obviously more of a b2b B versus b2b to, B to c setting um but but I think um you know those considerations are are being well thought out I think where it's uh earlier days is outside of of, of perhaps life science and, and device uh, and diagnostics and it's in areas like um uh like provider software um or areas like um health payment and health insurance and I think here you know, um, uh, the uh, track record of um, American companies, or perhaps developed and uh, Western-based, Western-headquartered healthcare companies entering uh, international markets that that look quite foreign, you know, here it's been a little bit more tentative. And I think um, it's starting to pick up for sure. I think one of the reasons why, you know, this is maybe a little bit slower than in the life science world is frankly that um, and if I break them up into kind of uh, health provider services and software associated with that versus you know, the payment of healthcare care and the um, kind of insurance world, uh, the, the former, I think, tends to be quite local, right? I mean, health systems tend to be in many ways local monopolies uh, in right. the U.S. And there's plenty of wood to chop. In those local markets, uh, when we think about some of the changes around the ACA, the movement from uh, fee-for-service, fee-for-value, just the the pressure and profit margins of of all of of these businesses in their home territories. But I think, um, you know, with healthcare consolidation, I think we've seen that um, uh, play out. Uh, there, there are already examples of uh, ma- many health, uh, health systems that are crossing state lines, and, and you know, many ways regulations going from you know one state in the U.S. to another state in the U.S. Um, is 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 already uh, a- a- akin to a- an international move with regards to the type of understanding of local licensure and and payment mechanisms and local marketing and developing a brand and things like that. Let alone the physical. A capital expenditure of putting a hospital on the ground and staffing around it, um, and and I think you know increasingly we'll start to see you know um, U.S. Canada uh, U.S. Mexico and I think the the global nature of a healthcare provider services is that people are more similar than they are different. You know, lifestyle diseases on the rise globally. Um, I think it's harder for a U.S. health system to make the jump to, um, you know, Southeast Asia all at once. But certainly, thinking about, you know, what are what are new adjacent markets, maybe starting in specialty care, uh, medical tourism, um, you know, moving from that into, you know, uh, kind of more common modalities of primary care using a combination of technology. Um, you know, I think these are um, ways that um, uh, healthcare provider systems, larger and smaller, can think about global expansion at the right time. And then finally to round out the comment uh, on the health payer side, you know, I think we're seeing um, you know, US companies that are uh, yeah, you know, in the likes of you know, UnitedHealthcare, they're the very largest mm-hmm. uh, payers. And then maybe outside of health insurance, more kind of life insurance type businesses start to think globally. I think this has been the case in, case in Europe for quite a while. Uh, so you know, the kind of leading health insurers in Europe, like the BUPAs of the world, uh, that sit on top of uh, national health systems and you know provide a, a kind of a, an insurance rider for private care on top i mean they are uh, already global businesses um, and uh, you know market aggressively in southeast asia in, as an example um, less so in the us i think the us has its uh, has its leaders and uh, are well entrenched and, and well established and continue to innovate as well uh, but i think it, you know if we think about many parts of the world where health insurance is relatively new uh, the types of products that people are buying tend to resemble um, critical illness insurance or stop loss insurance, than um, payment for healthcare services. And if I were to characterize the difference, it's things like um, you know, if you buy a life insurance product, uh, should something uh, negative, uh, health wise or or non health wise, you know, uh, unplanned for accident or emergency, um, you know, be something that's uh, you know a person has to deal with. There is a uh, a lump sum payment or some amount of um, uh, financial coverage tied to a policy, so it's really uh, triggered based on an adverse event. Uh, whereas I think health insurance in the U.S., at least how we understand it, is really more driven by volume and consumption. So you know, the, the more you need to consume, the more you see the doctor, the more you see you know primary, specialty, tertiary care. Um, then uh, that gets built to insurance company or to employer, and it's uh, it's you know on an ongoing basis with degrees and caps and copays and things like that. And I think the latter, as we understand it in the, in North America at least, is is still a fairly sophisticated and, and convoluted product to distribute globally. Whereas life insurance, um, you know, uh, where you know you, uh, you you're getting paid for you know a, a single event is something that people understand. And tying that to healthcare events. Uh, you know, like the the loss of a job due to hospitalization um, and just a a direct payment related to that. These are the sorts of, you know, intermediate products and product um, formulations that I think people in many other parts of the world are already used to buying. And so, you know, that kind of localization and tailoring are considerations for, you know, perhaps U.S., health insurance companies that are thinking about going globally with their first kind of phase of products that they're underwriting. So different answers depending on which sub vertical within health, and we can go much deeper into any of them. But I think um, the most forward thinking entrepreneurs uh, that are looking to transform the industries and compete with incumbents in these areas are already kind of um, uh, thinking along these lines with regards to tailoring their product uh, to be successful
0: across borders. Uh, Some great commentary. And, you know, thinking about the types of insurance that exist globally, probably uh, the reason why it's mainly like critical illness and stop loss is because it's mainly single payer, right? Funded by the government.
1: Yeah. I think that's one of the key reasons uh, as to why the market has evolved um, for health insurance in the way that, that we've just discussed. Um, so, So you're right. I think when you have a, um, An incumbent government-sponsored and extensive health system, like say the National Health Service or the NHS in the UK, uh, then private insurance sitting on top of that, uh, you know, is is often uh, um, more of an afterthought or a nice to have. And so kind of simplifying that offering um, for uh, a critical illness like uh, payout um, schema, I think it's something that- you know, it is more of a natural extension. But, um, you know, I think many parts of the world don't have what looks like the NHS, right? I think the NHS is considered a very good example of integrated um, payer provider, right? It's a true IDN um, in the sense of, you know, Kaiser uh, or Concentra or or I should say a Concordia in the US. Um, And, you know, a flavor of that would be Health Canada, right, where you have a single payer, but uh, multiple providers, privatized provision, but um, centralized payment. Uh, But in many parts of the world, you have neither. Uh, It's just a complete lack of, right? And so it becomes entirely privatized uh, and only made available to certain, you know, um, uh, high uh, personal pay customers and and patients. Um, And I think that's the case for many parts of the developing world. Uh, They they may, uh, on paper, have um, um, a single payer system, but that single payer system is, is perhaps not fully functional to the level that can provide adequate care. And so, even in these environments, when you know, you know, health systems uh, do privatize and, and do offer parallel systems to to the government, I think you're starting to see, or we are, you know, observing uh, kind of the uh, early onset and introduction of some of these sort of um, uh, types of insurance models that we that we described.
0: You know, Gavin, I I think it's a great call out that you made because you think single payer, but you don't automatically think single provider you know and Mm -hmm. your comparison between the nhs and canada and then taking us back to the asian market it's uh it's interesting and you have to think about that i mean so in asia is it is it single payer but multiple providers or what's the lay of the land or varies where you go
1: yeah i would say in in most cases it is um, uh, one dominant payer, um, not necessarily single, but it's the okay. government um, and mm-hmm. tax-funded, and multiple providers. Uh, so uh, more like the Canada model than the UK model, um, and and I think that uh, in uh, in Asia, which is a fragmented region, um, and uh, you know is uh, not 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 sort of you know one. Uh, one sort of archetype, but many, many different archetypes kind of depending on the market in which you operate. Many ways uh, like Europe, right? More than like the US in terms of market structure. There are, uh, if you might um, kind of simplify it down to to kind of two camps. So they're very, very large and developing economies uh, that are emerging rapidly and bringing hundreds of millions of people into middle-class status. And these are countries like Indonesia, you know, that, that has close to 300 million people. Um, or, uh, or Vietnam that has 100 million people, you know, the Philippines that has, uh, has 100 million people as well, uh, that in combination you know, make up the, the bulk of um, the, the population of Southeast Asia and actually a big, big contributor to overall population of Asia, uh, uh, including China. And these are markets where um, there's a real need for access to care. And so whether it's government policy or private industry responding to that need, it's about bringing more supply online to um, uh, to meet the demands of you know half a billion people and their healthcare consumption uh, requirements. And I think there's another part of Asia uh, which looks a lot more like uh, Singapore with five million people or, or Hong Kong with seven million people. Um, You know, or or markets, uh, you know, like Taiwan, um, where uh, these are developed economies, right, that have Mm -hmm. a functioning centralized single payer um, and often, you know, government parallel single provider or dominant um, provider system that works. Um, are not without its stresses and strains, just like the NHS. But one where you know a basic provision of healthcare services is uh, already at some level of adequacy, and I think here the challenges um, are more around payment and accessibility as opposed to um, uh, you know just purely the provision um, uh, of of care. Uh, how do you get different types of models to fit different types of needs? Um, you know, the um, I think the, the the level of population health in many of these markets uh, measured by uh, things like, uh, you know, wait times or even, you know, infant mortality. I mean, they're already at uh, very much first world levels. Uh, but the um, kind of the, the, the questions around how do you prevent conditions before they become uh, major issues, whether it's diabetes or kidney failure, or other lifestyle diseases, uh, and or how do you get best in class care, um, you know, uh, within the four walls of a hospital and then post discharge for more complicated cases uh, as people live longer and deal with more chronic illness. I think these are the sorts of um, questions that you know, some of these more developed healthcare markets, much smaller ones, but more developed ones are grappling with um, uh, in, in Southeast Asia, as an example. And I think here, uh, different, um, different models that uh, sit at the intersection of technology, uh, tech-enabled services, and then ultimately some of these uh, more innovative payment models that are starting to make uh, their way into, into these markets will be an important piece of the answer.
0: Gavin, have you thought about writing a book uh, about the healthcare in the Asian markets. Uh,
1: you, you know, I um, would love to explore that with you, Sal. I think there's lots that we can do when it comes to um, uh, you know uh, combining uh, our our perspectives from. In operating in different markets. I know you've done a, a lot in, in Europe and all across uh, the U.S. as well. Uh, so I do think, um, you know, uh, w- w- in partnership and collaboration, uh, there's certainly opportunity to share ideas and use that as a sounding board to, and a rallying cry for other people to also chime in. And I think, you know, your podcast does that uh, more than anyone else in kind of the, the really the forefront of thinking in healthcare. With regards to writing personally, uh, to be honest, uh, I, I've written a number of articles on kind of the continuum of care and the um, the pathway of getting uh, the right level of care, uh, both from a personal standpoint. I mean, one of the, uh, if I may share reasons, I, I moved back to Singapore um, mm-hmm. and I'm spending more time here is for family reasons. Uh, both my parents have uh, gone through um, you know, a lot uh, and have been frequent flyers in uh, the, uh, the, the local healthcare system here in Singapore, which has been which treated them very, very well, uh, but for very different reasons. And um, I think uh, comparing and contrasting that journey, that patient journey, uh, from, um, you know, diagnostic to treatment to post-discharge mm-hmm. to payment and to, you know, ongoing recovery as, as part of a, a population of patients. Uh, you know, I think there's a, a lot of interesting learnings. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the U.S. does things fantastically well, uh, but it does it in a very expensive way. And uh, I think if you can afford it um, and you know how to advocate for yourself, and I think with the benefit of a lot of the, the new types of technologies that, you um, uh, can help to uh, take the patient through um, you know different channels to get great care um, using uh, you know online tools. Uh, you know we're privileged in the U.S. to have uh, a lot of that available. I think in the rest of the world um, it's still relatively early, right? And uh, uh, resources um, and availability of being able to throw you know uh, more more and more different types of of uh, of, uh, of resources at the issue, whether they're they're financial or technology or others. Uh, these are, are relative luxuries. And so I think um, you know uh, um, other ways to get back to first principles on how to change behavior, uh, you know how to manage a population, but also kind of individualized care so that people feel that they are getting um, you know the, the the level of treatment and the um, the, 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 the right focus on their particular cases. It's, it's a delicate balance, and uh, and I, I know I think um, you know some of these insights across markets can be helpful whether uh, you're an entrepreneur. Or an executive sitting in the u.s and thinking about global considerations or whether you're um you know it's an individual and a counterpart um or or a patient seeking care in other parts of the world like um, southeast asia where i sit today
0: yeah no I, I i appreciate that gavin and you know glad to hear that your folks are getting uh taken care of well over there and when you mentioned uh, uh you know if you can afford it i just saw a statistic and then if you can advocate for yourself, I just saw that statistic plummet even further. <laughs> I'm just thinking, oh man, you know, uh, it's a challenge. It's a big challenge. And um, when you mentioned earlier in our talk, providers and, and sort of uh, you know, that, that medical tourism, it's interesting. You know, I mean, I, I was, we had a chat earlier. I was just in, in uh, Chile And, um, you know, in the airport where I had a connection in Panama, you had a big sign Mayo Clinic and you get down to Chile. I had a, had a couple of visits at a few hospitals down there. They're telling me about how United is there now. It's recent and they're expanding in a big way. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, healthcare is global and, uh, and you, you say it requires global solutions and I'm, and I'm curious if you had to lay out kind of like a three-step plan for, for the people listening, you know, h- how, do you, how do you do it? What does that plan look like? And, and, and maybe you could add a common pitfall in that, in that uh, uh, idea.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'd, and I'd love to get your thoughts as well, um, based on what you're seeing in Chile and other markets on how um, uh, this question of uh, um, go-to-market and um, mm-hmm. setting uh, a company up um, for success um, with uh, you know, a, a thought out strategy is starting to bear fruit, uh, whether it's United or other companies. But, but I think if I were to put a label on uh, the three steps to being successful in new market entry, it is uh, starting with innovation, uh, then expanding into partnership, and then finally into, um, into acquisition, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's uh, directly or, or through um, you know, inorganic and M&A means. Um, and, and maybe to highlight that with, uh, with an example in healthcare, um, one that um, I'm familiar with here in, in Asia, uh, there's a company called Tencent that you may be familiar with. They're a major mm-hmm. Chinese chat platform, uh, often yep. um, uh, described as the Facebook of China. And in addition to uh, being a broad-based um, social network, uh, they also have a health uh, innovation um, uh, venture or division. Uh, hmm. called 10 cent We doctor. Oh, and um, yeah, and, and we doctor is really a, a chat platform uh, for patients to get their questions asked uh, with real physicians um, with some degree of AI based intermediation um, that can help to um, essentially streamline and uh, maybe even um, uh, keep a set of questions on a fairly set type of rails so that in the course of that patient interview, um, the uh, key saline facts and what would show up in, um, you know, a, a doctor's soap note uh, get transferred to um, the provider on the, uh, the other end. And, and then whether it's um, uh, consultation or, or advice or a drug script comes out of that. And, uh, and it's, it's seen a lot of success in China. Uh, there've been other competitors as well. Um, not just from the tech and um, uh, um, call it uh, so- social world, social media technology, consumer technology world, but also from the insurance world, there's a company called Ping An, which is the biggest health insurer in, uh, in China, not, not dissimilar to, um, to United in terms of market power and, um, and market share in the U S what's the name of it, uh, Ping An, uh, Ping An, which literally means peace in, in Chinese. Nice. Uh, they started as a, as a multi, like multi-personal that. line, um, uh, insurer. So they do a lot of, um, a lot of life insurance as well, and then wow. uh, have, a, have a big healthcare book, health insurance book. And so, you know, they have a, they have a product as well called Ping An Good Doctor, sure. which is really a, a sort of a freemium chat app um, that's used for similar purposes um, for, for people who are their policyholders, right, as a way to kind of get them into into um, you know, kind of the healthcare system through digital means. Uh, both of these products, whether it's WeDoctor or Ping On Good Doctor, were innovations kind of coming back to that three-step process that started with mobile first as being um, a way to extend a uh, care beyond the four walls of the hospital and to hit consumers and, uh, and attract them and approach them in the modality that they're already familiar with. Um, you know, after launching that in China, which is already a, a very, very large market with its own kind of unique uh, kind of go-to-market considerations, you know, uh, Tencent uh, and Ping An, but maybe just focusing on Tencent to, to kind of round out the example, yeah. I thought about how to expand that um, into the rest of the region. Uh, so, um, you know, they, they have since, uh, you know, started to partner with local health services, often single payer or government uh, endorsed government sponsored partnership. Um, and so here in Singapore, for example, you know, there's been uh, much talked about kind of um, you know, what, what they could do uh, in partnership with the Ministry of Health here. Uh, and there have been other companies like Babylon Health and Grab. Um, uh, the former being, um, you know, the UK-based AI uh, kind of um, diagnosis uh, chatbot-based product that's powering kind of um, City of London uh, inbound on the nurse call line on, on primary care considerations, and then Grab, which is uh, a, a ride-sharing service provider like Uber, that I've also um, you know shared some news publicly about their uh, willingness to partner around um, using the grab mobile app uh, conceivably as a way to onboard users into uh, healthcare um, uh, experience and where that uh, experience since it's mobile first uh, would need to be powered by some degree of ai driven chat Um, and so that that could be where um, babylon comes in and so the details haven't been announced except except the partnership itself and so i think that you know that that approach whether it's tencent doing so with uh, singapore government or you know, with other governments uh, in the region um, or, or the likes of, you know, a, a, a consumer internet giant like a Grab partnering with a, you know, a global um, health tech startup like a, like a Babylon. I think these are the sorts of um, cross-border, uh, you know, partnerships after you've innovated around product that can be um, kind of very fruitful in, in entering new markets. And then the third step uh, to kind of round out the three steps is, you know, a- acquisition or actually uh, both organically or inorganically starting up a-, a new division or a new unit um, in-, in, the- in the new country um, into which uh, business is expanded. Right? So whether that's United Healthcare in Chile um, or, um, uh, you know, uh, some of these examples where they acquire a business in another market after partnering them for a while. I think these are the sorts of uh, natural next steps that come out of uh, kind of a global strategy. Um, we have a company in our portfolio that uh, that you mentioned at the start of uh, of our of our conversation today called BrightMD, uh, which is really a primary care automation platform uh, mm-hmm. currently serving uh, Kaiser in the U.S. Uh, Optum, um, uh, and it's serving uh, the Prisma Health system. And um, they are uh, Portland based, uh, but um, um, are doing you know work uh, with GoEVisit, which is the largest telehealth provider uh, in Canada. Uh, so it's a little bit like um, the Teladoc of, uh, uh, of Canada. And um, the deployment model is a little bit different, but I think that's an example where, you know, a, a piece of software that was innovated within um, kind of US health systems as customers partners with, you know, a leading uh, player in a different market. Um, and then, you know, it's too, too early to talk about, you know, wh- where that goes next. But I think that evolution of innovation to partnership acquisition is not just confined to kind of the large companies like the United Cares of the world that do a great job of that already, um, but uh, also smaller companies um, that are, you know, innovating every day that have limited resources, uh, but, you know, see the opportunity of going cross-border and, and finding the right partners to do so. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're no strangers to that within our portfolio as well. And, uh, you know, I definitely encourage um, entrepreneurs as well as mid- mid-sized companies and their leadership teams to think about you know, what are some of these um, uh, you know, thoughtful approaches so that you know, by innovating, by partnering, and acquiring, you can kind of crawl, walk, and then run at, at, the, at the right pace for your organization when you enter a new market.
0: Love it, Gavin. And uh, there you have it, folks. There's your strategy. <laughs> if you were trying to figure it out from scratch... Now you have a little framework, um, (laughs) innovation, partnership, acquisition. I mean, this is such a clear picture, obviously not easy, but, uh, a, a great pathway to, to get there to the global, global markets. And, and what would you say is one of the big, um, big pitfalls that people need to be careful about when they're executing on this?
1: You know, I would say that, um, Something to avoid is, uh, or being, something to be cognizant of, cognizant of is to uh, kind of not, not do the same thing repeatedly and expect a different outcome, right? Especially when yeah. it comes to, you know, leading people and building an organization. And I, I've seen uh, companies try and solve problems by throwing, you know, more resources or more money against the same approach. And that can, you know, help in the very short run because, you know, it, it sort of papers over broader issues. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it sort of subsidizes inefficiency and doesn't necessarily move things forward. And I think, um, you know, one way to combat that is, uh, you know, when you're entering a new market or starting a new, uh, um, a new initiative uh, that, that is sort of venturing to new territory is to set key success metrics early and to, and to communicate that and then hold people accountable individually. And I think when those goalposts are clear, right, what, what does success look like? um, for an organization or in, in, the case of what we just talked about, you know, what is, what does success look like to get from, um, you know, uh, stage one, uh, to stage two to stage three. Um, and, uh, I think being transparent about how to, how to measure and, and to reach these goals is a critical piece of, uh, kind of avoiding, um, you know, um, uh, uh, some of, some of these challenges of, of, of growth.
0: Love it. That's a great call out, Gavin and uh man what a what an incredible discussion uh, i I always learn a ton when when we get together um, it, 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 as you know as folks think about the the global economy of healthcare and and you know the requirements for global solutions what what would you what would you what would be the call to action for people listening from you today um,
1: I would say uh that um uh, healthcare is an economy, and it's a global economy, and uh, and I think the opportunity is tremendous. Um, the challenges, uh, you know, are also large. Uh, but I'm really excited about uh, how healthcare entrepreneurs and executives at large, established businesses uh, that are thinking about challenges and how to overcome them on a global basis. And I really applaud that, and look forward to finding ways to uh, to contribute to that um, that myself.
0: You know, I, I was just, I mean, just hearing about all the examples you provided, Gavin, I mean, super rich examples. Uh, so thank you for that, you know, Tencent and we Dr. Chat and Ping On and, and, you know, you talked about Grab and Babylon and how they're doing things together. I just thought how cool it would be if there was like a like a, like a field trip, you know, that a lot of people from the States could take and see and hear and feel what is going on over there, just because I feel like it would bring back so much to, to our system and vice versa, right? While they're over there, uh, interacting with the people uh, in those markets, they too could get from some of the things that we're doing out this way.
1: You, you know, I, I think that the more um, uh, we think about uh, sharing learnings, um, what works, uh, what doesn't work so well, uh, you know, tailoring approaches, and um, and collaborating across borders, uh, the the better uh, we will all uh, be able to ultimately serve the patient and to drive the right uh, healthcare outcomes. So I'm all for that, and I, I really appreciate that sentiment.
0: Yeah, and 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 for and for the folks listening, I guess you know my call to action would be: I want to hear from you on this one. If you would be interested in a in a virtual field trip uh, to Asia, uh, send me a message. Yeah, send me a message. Uh, just, sh- just write me an email, Saul at outcomesrocket.com. Saul at outcomesrocket.com. Say, hey, I want a I wanna virtual field trip. And, uh, and Gavin, maybe maybe if I get enough people interested, uh, if enough people are interested on this, maybe we get together and do like a little private fireside chat virtually on this.
1: That sounds great, Saul. I'd love to be your partner on that journey and, and the partner of everyone else. Uh, who responds and, and, and shares that, that um, excitement and interest in doing so. And I, I'd, I'd like to say for the listeners out there that, you know, saw your library of content uh, that, uh, you know, spans now, you know, uh, hundreds and thousands of, of fantastic insights uh, from the U.S. and globally. I think this is extremely relevant uh, right now for the global healthcare economy. Um, and so I think you already do have uh, the building blocks and more. Of a, a virtual tour of uh, you know, thought leadership around some really critical issues uh, that have been asked on your show, and that have uh, you know some some um, uh, gr- great insights for people that are are also tackling those questions for the first time in different global markets. So I think it's absolutely a two-way street, and I uh, would love to explore that if there's a continued interest from uh, from the listener bit base.
0: I appreciate that, Gavin, really much. And and so, folks, there you go. Take the call to action is email me if you're interested in a virtual field trip. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of fun. I, I'm I'm kind of excited about it. I hope enough of you enough of you uh, <laughs> reach out. Um, and if not, it's all good, right? There's the answer too. But Saul at outcomesrocket.com. Um, Gavin, I, I gotta just say thanks again. I mean, every time we get together, we learn so much. The listeners learn so much, and. Um, uh, I wish you the best in the, in the ventures that you have going on there and uh, really looking forward to, to doing a part three in another six to seven months, brother. I r- really appreciate you jumping on. Thank you so much, Saul. It's absolutely been a pleasure uh, to do this with you today.